for Christmas, we t- we're taking a break in 1 Corinthians, momentarily putting that on pause. And last week, we started by talking about, uh, uh, our theme is a time to give. And uh, we, when we talk about giving, church, I understand that there are some expectations, especially around Christmas time, around giving. And how many know, we talked about it last week, that the older we get, sometimes the harder it is to buy gifts for one another, right? Because sometimes, you know, we say, oh, we've got everything we need, or what we really need we can't afford, or, or whatever the case might be. Well, my wife and I, we both took the day off on Friday, and we decided we are going to finish our Christmas shopping. And we were determined, we were out of the house by 9 o'clock, got the kids off and, and uh, ready to go. And uh, we showed up in Granville, ready to go, and at lunchtime, around 1 o'clock, we had not bought one gift. And that's not the, that is not a lie. But we did sit down at lunch, and we got out the iPad, and we bought a bunch of gifts online. How many are buying some online? We're hoping that Santa comes you know, via, via UPS before Christmas. <laughs> we'll see. But, uh, but we know that there are expectations. And really, there's two sides of expectations. On the giving side... There's obligations on, at times. There's the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. If you get a $5 gift, you've got to give a $5 gift. And that happens at work and with our neighbors and with friends, even with family. How many have been there before? You know, the $20 token gift You know you, that you'd rather not give. You just keep your 20 bucks, right? I, I see some heads nodding, right? But then there's the receiving side as well, that there are expectations there. And I just want to take a quick poll just to see, you know, where we lie as a church body. How many of your families would uh, allow returned gifts after Christmas, all right? Returned gifts, all right? About half of you, okay, all right? All right, now, now, how many of you, you know, if it's the wrong size, then you say, okay, you can return it for a new size, right? Well, in my family, we were able to return gifts. That was not a huge issue. Jessica's family, she'll be here second service, boy, the first time I took back all the gifts her mom and dad got me, I was in big trouble. And there are expectations around these receiving, and sometimes it's not okay to return a gift. And last week, uh, you know, I showed a home video from 1992. If you're here, you remember it. Uh, it wasn't the most flattering of me. In fact, I got some reaction from, from you guys after church saying, man, you were rude. Uh, I think Bobby, uh, Pastor Bobby said, boy, you were a jerk. Yeah, you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure. But I, I, I wanted to clear things up. That was a season in my life where I wasn't as grateful as others. And I've learned how now to hide my disappointment with gifts. All right, that's true. But I want to hopefully redeem myself this morning to say I'm not a snob, all right, and I'm not ungrateful, and so I want to set up another home video. This one goes back a couple years to 1986. How many of you guys remember 1986? All right, you were one years old. Thank you, Deb, for that. All right. Well, what, I'm gonna, what we're about to see, I want to kind of set it up for you. Uh, at our house, we did a lot of gifts, a lot of small things, and then every year, I don't know about your family, there was always the one big gift, right? All right, you remember? And that's why last week I was kind of like, 
Hmm, you know, <laughs> big deal, right? Well, the last big gift comes, and it was kind of the last thing. And so what we're about to see, we're going to see my sisters. They both got their big gift together. It was the same thing. And then you kind of have to bear along with us a little bit. It, it takes a little time to get there. Then I get my big gift, and I want you to know I was excited. It was awesome. And then I want you to listen to that last little thing that my mom says, and then I'll come back. Here is 1986 at the Bay Home Christmas. Oh boy, here we go. And that's the Vey family. I think that was probably in my memory one of the best gifts I ever received as a kid. And I remember that. And when my parents sent me these videos so I could destroy them, and I told about that last time, I remember it. And I was looking for that, and my kids had watched it, and I was like, all right, we got to find that clip. And I'm just wondering, how many of you remember one of those great gifts that you got when you were a kid? Or maybe even as an adult, you got a bike, or you got a computer, or a camera, or an iPod, or maybe you got a handwritten note from your girlfriend. I don't know. I mean, I mean and it was one of those things you never forgot, all right? Maybe. Um, or maybe it was a piece of homemade furniture that was made by your grandpa or your dad. And uh, what was interesting is when you receive a gift like that, it puts something in your mind, doesn't it? How many of you remember giving a gift that was an incredible gift? Maybe you gave your gift uh, and gave a gift to one of your kids and it was one of their favorites. Do you remember that as well? And uh, I was thinking about this, and my, uh, when, we were, uh, when I was in Dayton, Ohio, my pastor, uh, we got him a gift as a staff. We put all our money together, and uh, we had been together at a conference in Florida and went to the Holy Land Experience. Anyone ever heard of that in Florida? And it was a great time. We had a good time, and we watched our pastor in the gift shop. They had the Dead Sea Scroll um, you could buy copies of that, and they were, you know, beautifully mounted, and we decided to pitch in all our money to do that, and I remember when we gave it to our pastor, it was at our staff meeting, and he's sitting at the head of the table, and he just began to weep, and he cried, Pastor Brown, and uh, he was so touched, so moved, and we're like, all awkwardly like, what, what are we supposed to do now? I mean, you can't top that, right? It was the best gift we could have ever given. And uh, last week, we talked about a subject, a time to give. And do you remember what the t- subject was? A time to give what? Hope, right? And really, when I think about that, on the receiving side, or even the giving side, hope is the best gift that we could ever ever give. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to kind of just summarize a little where we were last week and then set up where we want to go today. We talked about the story of Naomi and Ruth and their story. At the beginning of their story, it looked like a story of loss and that they were just, you know, doomed and there was disappointment all around. But what we saw last week is that lost does not have to be your story. There's hope in that. And look at the verse that we concentrated on last week. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And so there's a filling, there's a receiving of hope. But then, why would we be filled with hope? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That there is an overflowing, there's a giving of hope as well. That we can be hope for someone else. A couple of verses before that, or a couple chapters in, in uh, Romans 5.5, 5, I love what this says, and hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Hope, church, it never disappoints. And we can receive it, but we can also give it. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, a time to give peace. Another word that's tied to Christmas at many, in many different ways. But when we tie these together, we'll see that when the hope is exchanged, the result is peace. And like hope, like we said, at Christmas time, we see it in songs, we see it in decoration, we see it in cards, in banners, in stories. But not only with this term peace do we see it at Christmas time, as we look at peace across Scripture, there are over 400 direct references to peace found in Scripture. And there are many more indirect uh, connotations or, or um, references as well. The Bible opens with the idea of peace in the garden, in, in Genesis, the Garden of Eden. And the, uh, the Bible ends in peace with the promise of eternity in heaven. And peace is is uh, weaved in and out of Scripture uh, from front to the back. And in Scripture, we see that, unfortunately, sin creeped into the world. Sin ruined peace on earth. But then we see in Matthew and in Luke and uh, through the Gospels that the Christmas story gives us hope again, right? And it shares that Jesus brings, He restores peace. And we see these terms at Christmas time: peace on earth. Or we see terms like Prince of Peace. And you say, well, where do those terms come from? I want to take you through a couple of those quickly. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 9. And that's where we'll start. Isaiah chapter 9. And we see that Jesus here brings peace. Look what it says in verse 6. Chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. For unto us... A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and say it with me, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is what Jesus is. This was a prophetic uh, idea from Isaiah that the Lord had put on his heart. Flip a few verses forward to Isaiah 53. We see a, a similar idea. I'll start in verse 4 when you can, you can catch up by 5. It says, Surely he took our infirmities. He carried away our sorrows. Talking of, of Christ ultimately. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment was brought uh, that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The idea here is that Jesus, he took all that we deserve to pay, and he took it, and it resulted in peace. In Zechariah chapter 9, which is kind of a hard one to find, you can turn to Matthew and then flip just a few pages back. Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, look what it says. It says, Rejoice greatly. This is talking about the coming of the king. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. He's going to take care of the battle, in other words, right? And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Jesus will bring peace into our lives. In Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, which I want to encourage you to take time this year to read the Christmas story with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones. It's the story in Luke 2 where the shepherds are out in the field and the angels appear to the shepherds. And then in verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appear with the angels, praising God, right? Insane, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Jesus came to provide peace, to restore peace that had been broken. And there's really, as we examine peace this morning, I want to talk about three connections that kind of will help us. And the way I want to describe it is that there's an upward connection with peace that causes an inward connection with peace, which results in an outward demonstration of peace. Let me say that again. An upward connection with peace causes an inward connection with peace, which results in an outward demonstration of peace. That's where we're headed. True peace, church, it's a gift worth receiving, and it's a gift worth giving. It's not found under the tree, but we will see that the true peace himself he was actually put on a tree so we could experience authentic peace. And so let's look at the first one, an upward connection. The idea here is that Jesus gives us authentic peace with God. There's a connection upward. Sometimes we don't always get it, though. See, peace often, in a worldly sense, is tied to our identity or to our circumstances. Let me try to explain. Uh, peace can be tied to our circumstances in a lot of different ways. Who we are, or by our titles, or who we're friends with, or where we live, or our bank account, etc. It's tied to our identity. It also can be tied to outward success, worldly success, the money that we earn, the fame that we get, our talent, or our gifts. And we say, okay, the idea is that if we have it together, or at least on the outside, things look good on the outside, there must be peace on the inside. And how many know that the truth is that that is not true, not necessarily in fact, we see it oftentimes, uh, really there's this challenge, especially with social media in the last several years, that we put our best pictures up on Facebook and Twitter and on Instagram, right? And everybody thinks things are looking great and it looks like you're having the, the time of your life. You'd never post something where you're down or you know, looking ugly or without makeup, things like that, right? And what happens is that your Facebook profile okay, track with me, that's your highlights, right? And then people look at those highlights and they're saying, oh, look at so-and-so, look at that family, they got it all together. And you're comparing it to the behind the scenes in your own life. How many know that we all have behind the scenes, right? 
And the reality is, is that those pictures that we post, we've, we should stop it in some respects, right? Or at least stop comparing yourself to others from others' highlights to our behind the scenes. And what happens is our identity and we think our circumstances and we say, oh man, all these things look so good. But oftentimes we're struggling on the inside when it comes to having peace, being calm, being uh, being content with where we are in life. I ran across a story this, uh, this summer, not this summer, this week, uh, really a couple weeks ago. Uh, a guy who was in the NFL, it's his testimony, and I was listening to it. His name is uh, Derwin Gray. Uh, anyone heard of Derwin Gray? Yep, I knew you would, Sean. Well, uh, he, grew up <laughs> he grew up in Texas, humble beginnings and struggled. Um, and what's interesting is he describes in his testimony that football was his salvation. Uh, it took him to his American dream. Uh, and, he, and this is a quote, he, that he, it escaped, he escaped the hell where he grew up because of football. In high school, they, his team was a state champions in his senior year. In college at Brigham Young, they won two championships. And then he was drafted into the NFL in 1993. And so he was in football heaven. He had made it. He was playing for the Colts. He had arrived his third season. He's now team captain. He was nominated uh, for the Pro Bowl. Um, he's sending money home to his, to his mother and his uh, brothers and sisters. He's got the cars. He's got the look. He's got the status. But as he describes in his testimony that he had no peace whatsoever. In fact, he, uh, the, the idea, the way he described that, he said there was a storm inside of his heart. There was anger and bitterness. There was resentment. On the outside, everything looked good. And you, you're tracking with me, I know. But on the inside, the reality for, for Derwin Gray, there was no peace whatsoever. He actually described living in a lot of fear, not fear of other football players that I'd be afraid of, right? And it really, for him, it wasn't losing his home to foreclosure or the next payment, but there was no contentment in his life. And a teammate on the Colts shared and modeled Christ and brought a message of love. And Derwin realized that the outside successes, uh, the achievement, were, was not going to help him love his wife any better in the way that she deserved. And he went on to talk about that it wasn't going to help him to forgive all the outside success. It wasn't going to help him to find true hope or peace. He was the poster child of success. And he's saying inside, he's saying, look, someone lied to me. This is not good. There was a nightmare in his soul is what he described. But his teammate reached out, led him to Christ, led him to surrender to Jesus, and he received Christ. And now, as you turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, I want, I want to kind of make the tie between Derwin's story and what's interesting. Now, uh, years later, he's now pastoring a church and doing just some great things for the Lord. Just an interesting story how at the top of his success, at least from a worldly standpoint, he found no peace. But look what verse 1 of chapter 5 in Romans says. It says, therefore, this is what happened to Derwin. Since we have been justified through faith, since we've experienced salvation, and when Derwin accepted Christ, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's upon salvation. It's the result of the justifying work of Jesus in our lives that we can really know peace. And so there's this upward 
connection with God that results in authentic peace. You track it with me so far? And our upward connection then causes an inner connection, an inward connection that we see where there's peace all of a sudden in the midst of circumstances. Whatever the circumstances might be, my relationship with God can cause inner peace. And maybe you know someone, or maybe you are this person where you're numb to the world, or there's pain around your life. Or maybe, like we said last week, and we kind of went through these different things, maybe there's abuse in your life, or maybe there's some cancer that is crept in or maybe this season you've got a little unemployment or maybe you're feeling lonely especially at the holiday time or maybe there's death in your that there's been death over the past few years or an addiction that you're dealing with or you're still struggling through divorce or maybe there was an adulterous situation in your family there's maybe pain or maybe infertility like we said or maybe you just found yourself and you're saying, okay, I'm 50 years old and my life is riddled with debt. There's lots of signs, lots of things. But what I've learned and what I am learning, church, is that my circumstances do not have to determine my peace level. Or at least they don't have to. And I want to encourage you today, no matter what you're facing, your peace level is not connected, doesn't have to be connected to your circumstances. Look at with, with me at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, uh, this is a great, great chapter. Uh, but look what it says. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's a great challenge. We could spend probably a couple weeks just looking at those verses or those, those words there. But I want to focus on verse 7. Look what it says. If we do all of what we do, you know, the rejoicing, and, and we're uh, not anxious, we're praying, we're giving thanksgiving, we're presenting a request to God, what happens? It says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It will transcend understanding. The peace of God, which transcends, it's not that we can explain it or even predict it or we can't really evaluate it. It is supernatural peace given. It's something bigger than you. And then it says it will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That term there, guards, is a military term, like a well-trained soldier looking over a fortress, guarding the palace. In church, when we cling to Jesus intimately in our lives, out of desperation, there is a peace that will transcend our understanding and transcend our circumstances. And that leads to Paul being able to say in verse 11, uh, through 13, look what it says, and then I'm going to ask Pastor Bobby to come and share. But it says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. How could Paul say that in every circumstance? 
I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, any, in every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And this morning, I've asked Pastor Bobby to share a piece of his story where he was able to find inner peace, an inward connection to peace in the midst of a very difficult circumstance in his life. Let's put our hands together for Pastor Bobby Hill. So even more so, have you ever had tragedy after tragedy come your way and uh, you get to the point where um, you don't think that there's light at, at the, uh, you know, in the horizon? So um, if I were being completely honest with you, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could say that all of us have been in one of those places. And I know that I've been there, uh, like Pastor Ben said. And, um, you know, it's so hard in those circumstances to have hope and to have peace. And it's near impossible to find rest. Um, so my parents got divorced right before my 15th birthday. And I remember it quite vividly. And like most splits, um, it wasn't neat or civilized, and, um, or at least not at first. So um, there were family secrets that were unburied, and there were lies that were revealed. And just after everything was unearthed, everyone in my family was broken and was hurt, um, disheveled by what had happened. So in the next couple of years, things didn't get better. Um, both of my parents got laid off and struggled to find jobs. And they were moving, and they were changing schools, and just a lot of instability. And at one point, my parents were so poor that even though they were separated, uh, they were living together. And so most nights, my older and sister and I would try to distract and play with my little sister in one of our rooms while my parents were downstairs having a screaming match. So, you know, those times were tough. Um, it was at that time whenever we filed for bankruptcy. Um, like I said, my parents were arguing every night, and we were losing our house, and I had to move again. Um, and I remember during those times reading my Bible and just praying more than any other time in my life. And one day I remember praying to God, asking him, you know, to take me out of the situation I was in and, and to make things better so that I could find rest. And um, I remember sitting there when, when I heard God speak. Um, so I felt like I heard him say that things would actually get worse before they got better. And he said to me that he was going to have me hit rock bottom so that I would learn to rely fully on him. Um, he wanted to use me and my testimony to help build faith in me. And, um, you know, because if God could take me up from rock bottom, you know, he could do anything. And um, I could be to, uh, an encouragement to others and, and, and things like that. And it was less than a week later after I heard from God um, whenever I actually hit rock bottom. So I remember um, the day uh, going to the hospital whenever my dad had his heart attack. Um, so um, I know when uh, my mom came to get me and my sisters from school um, that this was what God was talking about. And I didn't know what the future held. Um, I didn't know if my dad was going to make it. And I praised the Lord that he did. Um, but, um, but I knew during that, like, but during that time I had peace. Um, you know, whatever was going to happen, I knew that it would be okay, um, uh, because God was with me and he told me he would bring me, uh, bring me through it. So if I didn't pray that prayer, um, asking him when my trials would end, and if I didn't continually seek to know him and to know his voice, um, I don't know how I would have responded to everything happening to me. Um, heck, I don't even know if the outcome would have been the same um, if I hadn't been praying for the situation and for my family at the time. Um, 
and it's a crazy feeling when there's chaos surrounding you and when the flames are engulfing you and when you feel like the waters are about to engulf you and overtake you. But it's even more astonishing um, in those times when God has given you supernatural peace. So I just want to encourage you, if you're in a dark place and you don't see, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, um, that even though you might not see him, that Jesus is standing there with you. Um, that if you're struggling to make ends meet and you aren't sure where you or your children, you know, uh, might have a place, you know, to lay your heads in the next few months, um, that there's hope. And things might not end up how you think they will. And, you know, like for me, things might actually get worse before they get better. Um, But none of that matters because the Prince of Peace is with you. Um, He will hold your hand and he will guide you if you allow him. So um, seek him now. Um, so that he'll be able to hear and know his voice whenever you're in those dark times. So, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's awesome to hear you share that. And he shared a piece of that uh, when he was coming and interviewing with us, and I, and I was praying and saying, Lord, you know, use that testimony even today uh, to challenge someone's heart, because I don't know where you are, but I want to assure you that when we are facing all kinds of loss and we're facing this desperate situation, that Jesus, and it sounds cliche, uh, but it's so true, he's the one that can get you through it. Our conquering king has done so much for us we can get through it. And it's really the Christmas story that makes that possible, that inner peace within us. And so church, I want to just declare that divorce is not the end of you. The broken family, what's happened behind closed doors is not the end of the story. The addiction is not the end of you. The unemployment is not the end. Teenagers, the terrible thing that you've experienced, the thing that's happened to you, it's not the end of you. And you say, well, how can you say that? How do you know? Well, it's a lot like what Pastor Bible was saying, is that we are more than conquerors. There's two verses that I want to take you to. The first is John chapter 16. And I know there's a lot of verses today, but as, as I was uh, looking to actually eliminate some verses, I'm saying, no, I'm not going to eliminate any. Because what's interesting about this verse in particular is that it kind of describes the fact that there will be trouble on this side of eternity. Look what it says. It says, I have told you these things so that you, that in you, you may have peace. Jesus, you know, describing as we look at, you know, the story here, you know, he's talking about uh, talking to his disciples saying, look, you're going to experience some grief. And then he says this, I'm going to give you peace. But then he says, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have times that are tough, but take heart. I have overcome the world. One other verse in uh, Psalm 29 And I can flip there quick, 29 verse 11, look what it says, or you can write it down. It says, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. He's the one that can breathe peace into your circumstances. And he wants to do it if we're open to that. And so we're tracking here. We said there's three connections. The first was an upward connection with God, right? That causes an inward connection, an inward peace. 
And that upward connection starts with uh, entering the, into the family of God through salvation. We get that. That inward begins to grow when our circumstances no longer dictate our joy. And it's something that happens supernaturally. And now we can come to the third where there's an outward connection, an outward touch of peace, an outward peace with other people. See, the reality is we all are a bit broken, aren't we? We're all a bit dysfunctional at some level or another. And the reality is that all of us have the ability and probably have followed through with hurting others that are around us. And unfortunately, oftentimes it's those that are closest to us. We say something, we do something. It started right at the beginning. Adam and Eve, they sinned. Their first generation, first offspring, ends up Cain and Abel in murder because they were broken, like we are broken. They needed a Savior, just like we need a Savior. And when two people collide, the sparks are going, there's you know, hurt, there's pain, there's all those things that we describe. And, uh, uh, and what's interesting about that is I often will say, uh, you know, I'll talk about our early years, uh, Jessica and I, you know, getting married, I was 19, she was 20, and talking about, you know, the pain and that we would, you know, throw things at each other and say things and scream matches and all those things and we've talked about that but if i am honest with you there are still times today in this season of our lives that i'll do things or say things or she'll do things or say things that are hurtful and the reality what happens is it causes a lack of peace in our homes and my guess is it happens in your lives too because we're broken people who's been there right we've all been there but what the Bible calls us to be is totally different. The Word of God calls us to be peacemakers. We are called to bring peace to a world that does not know peace. Jesus gave us peace so that we can extend peace. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. This is the challenge. This is crazy that God would expect this of us. Some of you, when we read this, you're going you're gonna to read it and say, that is not even possible. But I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible. Look at verse 18. It says this, if it is possible, and I believe it is, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone if at all possible it depends on you it's a one-way street see we are not in control or dependent on how somebody else responds to our situation the truth is this verse if we can embrace this if we can allow this to be at work in our lives it's a result it's a sign of maturity and grace in our lives See, Jesus didn't say, well, I'm going to come down to earth. I'll save the people if they decide to turn their lives over, if they believe in me. No, he said, I'm going to come. I'm going to provide a way, hoping, praying that there would be a response on our side. But he did it regardless. He did it for us. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, 
right? For they will be called sons of God. How do you know if you are a, you know, a child of God, you are bringing peace into circumstances, into those areas of your life that you have connections. In James chapter 3, verse 13, I want to kind of take this uh, section and look. What, what, turn there with me, James chapter, chapter 3, verse 13. Look what it says. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, and do not boast about it and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. It's of the devil. It's it, you know, just straight up. It's, it's not from heaven. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. That unfortunately describes a lot of the people that I know uh, that, that, uh, that live, that don't know Christ. And even some that do know Christ, that don't fully embrace the idea that we are to be peacemakers, that describes their family. But look what 17 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then it says this in 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. See, that's what God wants. That's the ultimate goal, is that we would be people that would be able to bring peace. And the result is that there would be righteousness. Our lives would be different the way we live. Now, I understand that there are problems, there are storms along the way, and God, He wants to help us along the way. He wants to help you to become a peacemaker in big things and in small ways. I like something that Pastor Bobby posted this week. I was tracking on him, uh, and he does a lot of writing. He says, if it matters to you, it matters to God. In, the little, in a little uh, quote uh, by N.T. Wright, I think. And uh, the idea is that in the big areas and in the small areas, that if we can bring peace, if you say, oh, I don't want to bother God with that. No, bring it to the Lord. Ask Him for help, and He will help you. You. The bottom line is that true success is by knowing the Prince of Peace. To know that Jesus gave us peace, that He was peace, so that we could extend peace to others. See, we need to unwrap this gift of peace, and God will help us. You will find Jesus. It's not some self-help book or some get-peace-quick plan, no breathing exercises that will cause peace or contentment no the idea is lord you know right where i am you know where i'm struggling you know about the debt you know about the loneliness you know about the death that's happened you know about the addictions so on and so forth lord you know it but god you can bring peace you can be the prince of peace in every single one of these areas and the way that happens 
is if we turn our eyes on the Lord. And Bobby, I'm going to ask that you come back and as we kind of wrap up here in the midst of our circumstances, that we could have an upward and inward connection. We can receive peace, church. And by the way, that does not mean that we live our lives free of conflict. When it says in Matthew 5, uh, verse 9, that we blessed are the peacemakers, that's really actually stepping into the chaos to be able to bring peace. So you say, man, you know, it's not that it's just absent of conflict. No, you you know, the, the only moment that that happens is when you take your last breath and you go from this side of eternity to eternity with God in heaven, right? But we can turn our eyes on the Lord and we can receive peace. And this morning, it's possible that you're away from the Lord or maybe you've never given your heart, never surrendered. And there is a gift this morning for you to receive. You can receive the Prince of Peace. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask that you would search your heart and ask the Lord to help you to do that. The opposite side is, or the other side, is that there's an outward expression of peace, that we can be peacemakers. That church, it is a time to give, it's a time to give peace, especially at Christmas time. When Jesus came to earth as a baby to give, to share the good news, to be the good news of salvation. That's what God wants. In Isaiah 52, 7, it's not in our notes, but it explains that the gospel is the greatest peacemaking message. And we have this message, and we are called to take it and to share it with others. That's what God wants. That's what God's plan is for each and every one of us. And so this morning, I'm, I'm going to ask that everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we wrap up this morning in anticipation of another great week, but before we take a step out of here this morning, if you are in a situation where you need that upward connection, you need that salvation peace, you need to surrender your life to Jesus, don't walk out of here without making that decision. And so let me just ask boldly, plainly, if you're here this morning and you're saying, but that's where I am, I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you served him at one point and you are far away from him today. I don't know. But if you're here today and you need Jesus, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But who this morning would say, that's where I am. I want to make my life right, that upward connection. Anybody at all? All right. The second thing is that inward connection, that inward peace in the midst of circumstance. And how many, if you're honest this morning, would say, Pastor, uh, I am struggling with this area. There's not peace in my home. There's not peace in our finances. There's not peace in regards to my physical health. And I'm struggling with peace finding peace this season if you're in that situation would you just slip your hand up and i'm going to pray for you as well absolutely lots of lots of hands saying man i i wish it was different i wish that things were you know that they haven't turned out the way they that i planned but today is a day where god because of our relationship with christ he can 
help us on the inside. And he wants to do that. And then there's a third piece, that outward connection, that outward giving, that we are called to be peacemakers. And some of you, I know your stories. I've watched you, and there are examples of peacemakers here at the Gateway Church. And uh, I, we, we applaud that. We, we're excited about that. But the reality is there are many here as well that really struggle with providing a peace message or being peace in situations, stepping into the chaos to bring peace. Instead, we run oftentimes and say, man, I don't want anything to do with that. But this morning, if your desire, say, Pastor, this season I want to be a peacemaker, would you raise your hand? We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to help us to be just that. Yeah, who else? Raise your hand with me saying, yes, I desire to be a peacemaker this Christmas. It's a time to give peace. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand right where you are. See, all of this is rooted in Jesus. The upward connection, the inward connection, the outward connection, it's all connected to our Heavenly Father in heaven. And we want to turn our eyes on Him. And Now this morning, if you raised your hand saying, man, I need that inner peace, I just want you to right now just to ask the Lord, God, that you would meet us, Lord, right where we are. Lord, that you would provide what only you can provide. And God, that you can move in a powerful way, that you can transform our lives from the inside out. God, that, that God, you can provide peace where there is no peace. And God, that you can be the Prince of Peace. And God, for those of us that raised our hands, and I pray that it's all of us here, that we desire to be peacemakers. God, that you would make that a, a reality. That this Christmas would be different. That God, we would choose to give peace. That we would be peace to others. And God, we give you the praise, we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. And the truth of the matter is, is that it's a choice. It's a choice we make through the power of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that we would walk out of here, and that the Lord would go before us, behind us, and all around us. He would help us to embrace this truth. Amen? Amen. Lord, as we leave now, I pray that we would indeed turn our eyes on you and that we would, it would make a difference in our lives. God, go before us, behind us, and all around us like I often pray and bring us back together one more time this year to celebrate Christmas. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. We love you. Have a wonderful week. And uh, bring someone back. Next week is going to be a powerful, powerful Sunday.